0: Genesis chapter 13 verses 8 and 9 is today's scripture reading. If you want to follow along, that's Genesis chapter 13 verses 8 and 9. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, there is an exception to the rule. Uh, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, John and uh, Freddie said the way was too long for you, so they have moved all the stuff up here now. So some of you will understand what I'm talking about. But if you're looking for any of those items, they're going to be up here on the front pew. Uh, they magically appeared there. What we're going to be talking about this morning is Abraham and Lot. Kinley told me that uh, she's been learning about Abraham and Lot in her class. So first off, I want to say thank you very much to not only uh, her teachers, but also um, any of you that are teaching, you're doing a fantastic job. I know my kids are enjoying it, and they're learning a lot. But Kinley tells me after class what she has been uh, learning in class, and she's been focusing on Abraham and Lot. And I said, well, how about we just study that together the next time I preach? And so uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning is uh, because we've been studying that together and you've been studying that in class. So that's the inspiration of what we're going to be looking at. Before we look at these passages together, let's uh, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us the ability to come here to understand uh, your word. Help us as we dig into it to find what your teachings are so that we may live them out and serve you. Thank you for your church that's here at Dalreda. Thank you for blessing us in so many great ways. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. When you think about Abraham and Lot, what comes to your mind? There's probably a handful of stories that that we may think of when we say Abraham and Lot. I think overall I consider the story of Abraham and the great man of faith that he was and and that journey that he went through very physically and spiritually to to learn more about God. And we get him being the father of many nations and so many great things about him. But along the way in Abraham's story, we learn about his nephew Lot. And I thought it would be beneficial for us this morning just to study them both together and we could spend all of our time talking about Abraham and the promises and the things that are made to him. But I thought it'd be enjoyable for us just to study his interactions with his nephew, Lot, and maybe draw some conclusions from there um, about their relationship together. So maybe there's a a couple of major stories that come to your mind about them. First one that we read about was when they separate. You know, their families came together and uh, their possessions started growing and it became difficult, and so they choose between the lands. Maybe you think about Abraham and Lot. When it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you have Abraham on one side and and Lot down here in the city, and and the experiences that they go through and seeing it from two different uh, perspectives, those are usually the two things that come to my mind, and we're definitely going to make reference to them. But I think there's some other things throughout the story of Abraham that we learn about Abraham and Lot together, and what I notice between them is that they have to make a lot of choices. You know, life is made of decisions. We make a lot of choices when we wake up in the morning and decide what our day is going to be like, what our week is going to consist of. We are filled with choices and decisions, and a lot of our choices and decisions not only impact us, but also other people around us. It impacts our family, our friendships, even our church, uh, our work. All of these things, we're filled with decisions. And what we're going to see through the story of Abraham and Lot is that they have decisions to make and what happens when they do that. First thing that I want to focus on is Genesis chapter 11. We're going to find the family ties. Where does this all begin? Genealogies are difficult, and we're going to talk about one. In Genesis 11, you get a lot of descendants, and we're not going to go all the way back to Shem and read all of uh, the people that come from him. We're just going to pick up in verse 27 and learn a little bit about where we get the the family tie between Abraham and Lot. Here's what it says, starting in verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, his son, um, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, and Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Right, so you look at that and you're like, okay, well, we get these family ties. But there are a few things that stick out to me here that um, maybe I'd overlooked at some point, or if I knew them, I forgot them. But about the story of Lot. There's something that that draws out here. Abram had two brothers, Haran and Nahor. And we learn about their families and their marriages. But did you see what happened to Haran, the father of Lot? He died in the presence of his father, Terah. I don't know why I've, I've, I've missed that. You know, I see Lot in the story of Abraham and it's almost like, you know, this nephew just kind of gets tacked on for the journey. Abraham says, you know, I'm about to go on this journey. I'm going to go uh, to a place that I don't know. And Lot's like, okay, I'll just go with you. I'm just a good nephew, and you look like we have fun together. You know, that's not the case at all. It seems like Abraham was taking care of his nephew. You think from Tara's perspective, his son died in his presence. You know, we say it all the time about, you know, having a child die before a parent. It's, it's tragic. And we don't know what went on here, but we know that it happened. And we know they spent time together and we know that Lot was kind of attached to Abraham for whatever reason, whether, you know, he took him on or Abraham just uh, kind of uh, grew closer to Lot, whatever that is, we find them binding together. I think it's interesting when you read in chapter 12, when Abraham is called to go outside of his family, to go beyond his kindred, that Lot goes with him. Look at verse 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Just that phrasing of Lot went with him. I wonder what Lot knew concerning the call that Abraham had. You know, as Abraham is getting ready to leave his family, leave his home, he's going to have to give some reasons why. They discussed it, and you can see kind of this partial journey along the way. Abraham would have been talking about these promises that God made, that there's going to be this great nation, there's this land that, that God is going to show me, and so I'm going to get all my possessions, I'm going to get all the things that belong to me, and I'm going to go as God has asked me to go. What do you think the family learned about Abraham in this moment? As I said, we learned a lot about Abraham and his faith. Is he goes through life... He has a lot of challenges concerning faith. Abraham's one of those people, he takes things into his own hands. And it seems like he struggled with trusting God over and over again until finally we learn about Isaac and that great sacrifice and what Abraham was willing to do. But in the very beginning, when we get Abraham on the scene, we find his interaction with his family. How difficult do you think that would be to have those conversations? I mean, I can just imagine if I came to my to my family and I told them I'm going somewhere I don't know and I'm leaving everything behind here except for my possessions. You know, would they look and say well godspeed, you know, and en- enjoy or would they start offering some advice? I think it says a lot about Abraham and how maybe he educated Lot. And we learn a lot of things about Lot along the way that he struggled He got caught up in some things and and, and you see them separating and Abraham not being there with him. And I wonder how much responsibility Abraham felt for his nephew, Lot. The tie between their families is very strong. And as Abraham is being called out, his family is seeing this and they're witnessing it. And whatever that relationship may be, we learn, as I said, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, that Lot went with him. And so many of the things that we're going to see with Abraham that Lot becomes a witness of, but then we also are going to find where he separates. And that's the next thing that I want to look at this morning in the the set of passages here. In Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, family divide just as basic as the story goes, and, and I was looking up, you know, just some uh, different ideas about what's happening with Abraham and Lot, and what happened over and over again is I kept finding coloring sheets, so I thought about passing those out to you for you to take notes on this morning, but then I decided against it. It's all about choices and decisions that we make. One of the main stories we deal with Abraham and Lot, it's this moment right here where they decide to separate. Now, part of that decision was already made for them, right? That uh, as Abraham is growing in his possessions and his livestock, they're multiplying and they're in the land. And you kind of see a couple of little travels with Abraham where he goes in a central area and he comes back to where he began. The land just cannot handle all of Abraham's possessions and all of Lot. They acquired a lot as they were leaving the land. And you can see that in the beginning of chapter 12, that they had a lot of these possessions. And, And it keeps growing as flocks do over time. And the land cannot sustain them. And so they make this decision that we're going to have to separate. And we look at verse 8, Genesis 13 in verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. Now the strife has already been between the shepherds. They're, they're contending with each other. And he's saying, look, let's have no strife between you and me. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. A main point that we find through this story is about family. And this is not a a lesson centered on family per se. We're using that as an outline as we go through this. But if you're just going to look at the family unit in the life of Abraham, you learn a lot about family. In those connections of how a family grows. And one of the main things that is told of Abraham is what about his family? That it is going to grow into a great nation. When he looks at kinsmen, he sees this relationship together. And there's still a lot of things that Abraham is learning about his family. Because as the promises of Abraham start to unfold and be revealed along the way, you find Abraham thinking, well, look, I'm old and I'm advanced. I don't have any children. So he has someone of his household, Eliezer, that he assumes is going to be the next heir and a a, a generation is going to come after him. And God tells him, no, it's, it's not that guy. It's not Eliezer. He's not going to be the one that's going to be a great nation. And then where does Abraham go next? He and Sarah talk about Hagar, and we have Ishmael that comes from there, and God's like, look, I understand. I told you it's going to come from your own loins, but it's not going to be with another servant. It's not going to be with someone else. It's going to be with your wife, Sarah. And as that starts to unfold, we learn a lot about the promise and what Abraham knew about kinsmen and those family ties. And so as they're separating here, that's one of the things that sticks out to me. In verse 9, it's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. They thus separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. Great sinners against the Lord. You see what's happening in this moment. Now, what was the original promise given to Abraham? You leave your home, your family, and you go to a place that you don't know yet, but is going to be the promised land. There's a choice and a decision being made here. And we see how it fares. He gives Lot the decision, right? you choose this land or this land. And where Lot goes, he goes the opposite. Lot chose, yet God still was able to bring about his plan. He was going to show Abraham a land that was going to become his own. What we know as Canaan that becomes the promised land. And it was kind of out of his control that it happened in this way. If you look at verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. As we think about choices, we, make about, we think about decisions. Look at what Lot chose. He looked for a place that was good to the eyes. The valley, it makes sense, there's a river that runs through there, and of course it's going to nourish the land um, on the left and the right of it. That's a good place. It looks green. It looks fertile. It looks like the garden of the Lord. I don't know. It's just, if you want to underline that, just have another mention that they're still talking about the Garden of Eden at this point. They know what the Garden of Eden is about, and he saw that, and he said, "That's where I want to be." But what was close by to there? It was sin, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he even give the the writer Moses gives us a heads up on what's going on here. He's like, "Look, this is before God destroyed it, so you already know what's going to happen." He's telling you, he said, all right, this land was here, but it's not going to be here after a while. There's going to be some consequences. But these people that live in the land, they are great sinners against the Lord. They were wicked. And they're going to cause some some friction and some dissensions that are going to pop up because of their wickedness that we're going to see later on in the story that you're familiar with. Now, Abraham was looking at the land of Canaan. And there were people groups there. And there there were lands that... He couldn't even, you know, he's going up on this mountain and he's looking all around him and God's saying, this is the land that your people will live in forever. And part of the underlying story of the Israelites is them coming back to this land. As we've been studying in Sunday morning in the book of Deuteronomy, we've been seeing them come into this land and receiving all the rules before they step over the Jordan River that's going to be backed up. They're going to walk over the Jordan River and they're going to go back into this promised land. But it is very different than what Abraham was experiencing here. When Abraham gets the final covenant from God, or one of the final covenants from God in Genesis chapter 15, there's a a phrase in there that talks about, you'll come back here and and there's going to be an issue here, that the, the sin of the Amalekites, that it will grow and that'll have to be handled a little bit later on. It's not yet complete. So continue the journey on. So what do you learn about family? What do you learn about decisions in a moment like this? Is that God is living and active and He's working in the midst of it and all these decisions are happening around them. The promise is revealed to Abraham. This land that worked out in this way, this is what I'm going to be giving you. But let's study about Lot and Abraham a little bit more. Let's talk about family safety. In Genesis chapter 14, we have all the people in this land that uh, they start fighting. They start contending with each other. And there's a, a full section you can read about all the kings and their different names. Uh, but there's this big battle that's going to happen between the people of the land in this general area. But let's pick up in verse 8. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adama, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the, the valley of Siddim with uh Chetel-Amar, king of Elam title king of Goyam, Ampereel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, Four kings went against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits. and As the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. I wonder what Abraham is thinking in the next set of verses where somebody that escapes from this battle, they come to tell Abraham, family's in trouble. These, these kings have gone to battle. The, the place where uh, Lot has set up, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're being defeated. As they were running away, they are falling into the pits and, and the people are dying. And, and those kings that they were fighting against have come and taken all the possessions and they've taken some people of the land and, and Lot is part of them. They've taken everything that he has. And you find Abraham gathering all of his armies together, and he chases after those enemies, and he brings Lot back. What do you think is going through Abraham's mind in that? As he's protecting his family. He saw what Lot chose. I mean, Abraham is in this general area, and he's seeing where where Lot has decided to go, and there seems to be a reputation that we're going to... we're going to read about in just a moment that Sodom and Gomorrah had a bad reputation, and he sees Lot getting closer and closer to that. I wonder what the protection mindset Abraham had about his family. You know, Abraham is very prepared by God to go and work and do what needs to be done. And you see him reaching out and helping in any way possible, and I can just think of an older uncle and a younger nephew and wanting to give him advice like, Why did you set up here? Do you see what happened? And Abraham and his small army, uh, although quite large uh, in comparison maybe, was able to do a lot of great deeds. And really, the result of this, the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and he says, look, I will give you all the loot that you have gotten from your battle. Just give me the people and you can take all the possessions. Sodom, The king of Sodom noticed what Abraham was able to do and even noticed something about him as, Melchizedek, this great high priest, is there. And Abraham said, look, I'm not going to be indebted to you, king of Sodom. I'm only indebted to God. I came here to take care of my family. I'm not going to be underneath you, and I don't want you to think that I owe you one. That's not how this is going to work. When I think about family safety, it's just one of those stories that that pops up about Abraham and Lot, and you just wonder what would have happened had Lot just stayed with Abraham. What would have happened if Abraham would have left Lot and never turned around to think about him again? Would he have avoided a situation like this? Those are all questions that come to mind as we read about what is going on in a passage like this. The last one that I want to look at, though, before we draw some conclusions from here, is the more familiar one, maybe, as you think about from dividing the land to them and Sodom and Gomorrah. This seems to be a heavier one. and You've got two main chapters if you're just taking notes and wanting to, to mark down what happens here. Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. We'll, we'll kind of skim through some of these areas, read in some context to find out what's going on. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 18, And the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servants. He's sitting there in the heat of the day, and he sees these people coming by, three men. It's very important take note of that. There are the three men present here. Abraham recognizes something about them, comes to them, bows down to them, and he says, look, you need to spend some time with me. And he goes and he prepares a meal. I think it's interesting, too. He he tells his servants, he says, all right, go find a calf and, and prepare it quickly. And then he turns around and they have a cooked meal in front of them. If any of you have ever field dressed a, an animal, how long that may take, they were very prepared for this. Uh, you could tell they would do it a lot. But he goes and he gets all this food together and he sits down and he talks with them. Abraham, it seems like, is is up on a higher perspective. And he's sitting there and these men come and they're going to have a conversation about some things. First off, for Abraham, he has a conversation about a descendant that's going to come from him. They're looking for Sarah, and this is where we learn a little bit more about the child that is going to be born, the one that is promised. He said, it's going to come from you and Sarah together. and In a year, actually, we'll be back, and you will have this child. Sarah listens to this, and and she kind of doubts. She laughs, and she gets called out for that. But they look at their old age, and they think, how can we have children at this point? We're advanced. We're beyond the the way of the body functioning in a proper way. How are we to have a child like this? The more we learn about Abraham and the older he gets, the more he has to rely on God. As the body begins to fail, and Paul even draws on this in the book of Colossians. As the body begins to fail, you're having to look to the Lord for a little bit more of understanding his promise. Like, I know that a child is coming. I know between me and my wife that by our physical abilities, we are not able to do what you're saying. And that's where God goes beyond what we can think or ask or imagine. You learn a lot about faith in a moment like this with Abraham. But let's look in verse 16. Then the men uh, set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations there earth shall be blessed in him for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him these three men and a conversation is going on here the Lord is present in this discussion and he says, should I tell Abraham what's about to happen? Abraham is going to be this great nation. A lot of good things are going to come from him. But once again, look at verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. There's a couple of things that stick out to me here. Abraham is told, keep the way of the Lord. It's expected. We find it when he left home. All the way to this journey, as we continue learning about Abraham and his family, can you keep God's commandments? The word righteous may stick out to you when When Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and that's even drawn upon in Romans chapter 4, Paul looks at that faithfulness and he looks at that righteousness and he says, do we understand what is involved with having faith in God and going where he tells us to go? And do we take our families along with us? Are we willing to, to see the promise of God and what he has said to take care of us? And for Abraham, he had this nation that was going to come from him, but he had accountability to righteousness and justice. As the story progresses in just a moment about what's going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah, there's something that we recognize from Abraham's perspective that he knew that God was just. And what do we know about justice? What does it mean to be just? You see, God is the the lawgiver. He is the one that is in charge. And He sets the goals and He sets the parameters. And He says, this is what I expect you to do. And those that don't do that, there are consequences. For God to be just, He has to be consistent. There's a punishment to sin and there's blessings in following God. It's found in a passage like this. But Abraham is told to do these things and they're having this discussion, but pick up in verse 20. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. The outcry about Solomon and Gomorrah. Where do you think that outcry is coming from? Solomon and Gomorrah has a reputation. I mean it, we see that just in our language and even using uh, some of these city names as uh, other descriptions on stuff and we see it come up in the New Testament. Solomon and Gomorrah had a reputation. The outcry against them from God's perspective he sees that sin, but we also see you know them sending these messengers to go uh, witness it. Almost some of the language similar to what we find in the Tower of Babel about going down and seeing what is happening here. And they're about to be in the middle of the city. Two of the three men are about to go into the city to see what is happening. But there's this outcry, and it seems like maybe even the people around them knew of this great sin that Sodom and Gomorrah was doing. We learn that they were wicked earlier on. We learn that they stay in their wickedness, and it comes to a point where it needs to be dealt with in a very supernatural way of God coming in and removing them. This outcry against them. I wonder what Abraham knew when it came to giving advice to Lot. Or maybe he sees this city from his perspective and he sees the city down here knowing that it's filled with wickedness and Lot's in it. When we think about decisions, at what point I wonder where Abraham would think, should I go down there and get Lot? From Lot's perspective, How long should I stay here? How many excuses can I make for what's happening around me? Life is full of decisions, and and in the midst of something like that, you're filled with, what should I do in a situation like this? And As the story goes on, we find, starting in verse 22, Abraham learns that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed, and, and he starts talking with the Lord. Look in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. I just think this is cool that how many men came to visit Abraham? Three. How many of them went down to Sodom? Two. And the one that remained, the Lord spoke to him from there. Verse 23, Abraham drew near and said, and this is where he starts negotiating about how many righteous people will be found in this place that you'll preserve it. He mentions a couple of things about who God is. He mentions righteousness. Because of God's righteousness, because of other men's righteousness, will you you save this land? We understand that God has to deal with wickedness, and he uses language about uh, these things happening against the wickedness of the people. He says that God is the judge of all the earth. He says that God, I know that you will do what is just. And when he compares himself, he says man is dust in comparison to God. And all that's coming out in that dialogue, and he says, how many righteous people will you find there? In these negotiations, and he's talking about that, I wonder if he's narrowing it down of, is Lot going to be righteous? Is he going to be found among them? If he keeps saying, for this, for this, for this, I wonder what the, the lowest one that we can go to. Lot's integrity, did it was it maintained the whole time? Well, we see some issues that happen in his family a little bit later on. But just focus on this as we've gone from Abraham's perspective. He's up here and he kind of walks the men outside of the tent and and they go down to the land and he's up here looking over it. We see from Abraham's perspective of God what has to be done, this justice, uh, being a judge, being righteous. The story's going to change now and we're going to see the same thing happening from Lot's perspective. Lot is in the midst of the city. The angels come. And they tell Lot, here's what's going to happen. You're going to need to leave. We understand what the people of the city, what they tried to do and, and their vile acts and, and the way that they, they were viewing things and even Lot saying, you know, giving his daughters over to them. And it's just a, a terrible situation to see all these things in here. But you think about Lot, righteous Lot, being found in the midst of this city that's filled with rampant wickedness. He's told to leave. And he even tries to find a place to go. But look at uh, Genesis 19, verse 15. As morning dawned after this, this night of the, the people that had become blind knocking at the door and trying to get into these two men that are there. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, "Up, Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. What's the next line you find at the beginning of verse 16? But he lingered. When we think about choices, we make about we think about decisions. What was Lot's decision? He he lingered. Should it be a clear indication to us if we knew that there was a great point of judgment coming? And that those people that were found at the place of judgment that they were going to be destroyed, should we linger? It's very profound when you think about heaven and hell as a choice. Being given the option of, are we going to serve God or are we not? Do we linger when it comes to decisions about whether we should follow God or not? Lot knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen to this city, but he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. As they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be uh, swept away. Abraham and Lot, side by side, maybe one up, looking at the perspective of it from God, and then Lot down here, lingering and looking at what's around him. The story of Lot will eventually end, and we don't hear a lot about him beyond that, but we learn about the, the tragic thing that happened when his wife turns around and she becomes a pillar of salt. We learn about his daughters getting him drunk and having children by him. And for those that are studying with us in Deuteronomy, I can't help but mention at the end of Genesis 19, verses 36 through 38, there are two nations that will come from these two children from Lot. And those are the same ones that we find in Deuteronomy 1 through 4. That's kind of a trial area, uh, a trial before they go into that um, promised land, the Moabites. And the Ammonites. So you can mark that one down for further study. But I I thought it's so interesting when you just look at the story of Abraham and Lot, you think about the promises of God and how they're all being worked out in something like this, and and what Lot decided and what Abraham decided made me draw uh, out some questions, and I want to present them to you as we close. How does your obedience to God affect your choices in life? Now, we find Abraham's obedience. And as it was a journey along the way, we still find his obedience of, you know, leaving the land and and, and taking some situations in his own hands. And as things were being revealed, he was learning more. And we learn about his obedience. What do we learn about Lot? We see some stuff from his perspective, but it's mostly from the angle of Abraham seeing what's going on over here. Abraham, in some extent, would have educated maybe about the things that were happening, but where's Lot's obedience? But I have to think about ourselves. How committed are we to what God asks of us? Now, he doesn't come He said, I need you to leave your land. I need you to go over here and do that. But obedience to his word will change things in our life. Are we willing to leave family or connect ourselves with those who know what God's plan is all about? Jesus said, you know, I've come to bring a sword. It's going to divide families if you say that I'm going to follow Jesus and somebody else says, well, I'm not going to follow them at all. There's going to be this division Our obedience will affect our choices in life. If we want to serve God and put Him first, then does that dominate other things in our life? Are we willing to put something to the side so that we can see God more clearly? I wonder how Lot would respond to a question like this. The second one that I want to draw out, how do our choices impact God's plan? Now consider this just for a moment. God doesn't come to us and say, you know, Billy, this is what I expect from you on this day, at this time, I want you to go do this. We know that God has a great plan. Overall, and he has an ultimate will for how we as people should live and act and what the reward should be of heaven. He knows that that's where we should go. He knows he has promised all those things to us. He set the path and we are to follow it. God's plan is, Knowing all these things, but also knowing our frailties and our mistakes. He knows how to strengthen us. He has provided his word to us that we can go to for advice and wisdom. He's given us the ability to pray to him, to talk to him when we're going through difficult situations, good situations, to be in constant communication with him. God's plan is the same, but he also wants to see us succeed. God's not just waiting to strike us down at every turn. We know that God is merciful, and that's the same merciful God that was bearing with Lot and all the things that were going on there. God is great and merciful. He is the judge above all. And so when we ask this question, how do our choices impact God's plan? He has a plan, He would like for us to stay away from sin. He would like for us to, to do all these things, but when we fall into sin, He has a response to us. And He knows what to do from there. And the final question... How does our view of God affect how we see problems? Abraham had a view of God. He started establishing the, the God of Most High when Melchizedek would come to him and is this priest that nobody really knew about, but as the king of Salem, and, and he learned some things from there. He calls out God and, and he says, I know that you're righteous. I know you're just. I know that you are the judge of all the earth. I know that you bring about these promises. I know you do this. And when we get to the end of Abraham's life, we're closer to the end, when we learn about Isaac, he says, if you ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. He knew who God was, and, and in Hebrews chapter 11, we know that he had, God would raise up even his son if he uh, wanted to. What does God look like from our perspective? Is God a loving God, or is he a distant God? Is God far removed, or is he close by? Is he a God that, acts on his promises or is he not as our life is made of choices and maybe we look to Abraham and Lot as a paradigm for what we should or should not do what will we decide today it's just a simple story and that's why we teach it to our children is because it's easy to comprehend it's easy to understand you don't have to get into the complexities of it what will you do with god If you look at your life this morning and and some of these questions are a challenge to you to answer, can we help you? Can we pray with you? Can we study with you? Can we just be with you and give some encouragement, whatever that may be? If you start working through these questions, you realize that God is not in your life and you're willing to give up sin and, and repent and die to that way of life by being buried with Christ in baptism so you can rise up to walk in the newness of life. That choice is yours if you will make it. Can we help you in any way? as we stand, as we sing.